did we just see the evolution and destruction of a brand new cult in the last few days? A young boy moves into town, and he's hiding a terrible secret. And then we take a look at the story of a man we all know. If you're American, otherwise you probably don't care. But President Obama is who I'm talking about. Is there any truth to the rumor that a man once bumped into Barack Obama on an elevator? But not just any elevator. This elevator was headed to Mars. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. We got a ton of stuff to cover, so we're going to get started right away. First off, let's give a shout out to our newest Patreon supporter. Everyone loves her. Mosquitoes die inside of her with dinosaur DNA. It's Amber. Everyone give a round of applause to Amber. She's walking in. She's like, really? That's my introduction. I don't even get a cool vehicle. You're riding a Triceratops. There you go. Triceratops that was crafted from the DNA of the dead mosquito in your body. She's like, ah, ah, I guess that's okay. Amber, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you can't support the Patreon or if you don't have mosquitoes in your body, that's fine too. Just I hope you don't. I hope you don't, but it's fine too. Just help spread the word about the show. Really, really helps out a lot. We also have a merch store in the show notes. Also, you can see that it is Fan Art Friday. We have some fan art from Horrible Night to Have a Curse. Horrible Night to Have a Curse is on Instagram. You can check out their Instagram. They're always looking for new art projects to do, and I really, really appreciate this one. On Horrible Night to Have a Curse's Instagram, there's a bunch of creepy videos and photos, so go there, check it out. It's really cool, and this is great fan art. Thank you so much. Amber, go ahead and crawl off of that Triceratops. I'm going to give you the keys to the Dead Rabbit Dirigible. We're leaving Dead Rabbit Command. We're going for a very, very short journey to Wall Street. Amber is at the controls. Paradactyls are flying next to the... We should have just taken the Paradactyls. But we're in the Dead Rabbit Dirigible. Her pet Paradactyls are flying next to us. I just want to talk real quick about this GameStop Wall Street bets thing. I'm not not asking you to invest in GameStop. I'm actually recording this episode earlier in the week. But by the time it comes out on Friday, I'm assuming the stock will be performing even worse than it is now. As of now, it's already gone down like 75% of its top value. It's fascinating stuff. You guys know I'm a huge fan of subculture. I'm not really going to go into the news details of it. I think most of you guys are aware of what happened with the GameStop stock and Wall Street bets and all this stuff. You guys know I'm a huge fan of subcultures. I found the Wall Street bets subreddit early on during this thing. Like when I got on there, there was still maybe 3 million users. And now there's 8 million users. And it's fascinating. It's fascinating. It, 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 you're why it's a cult. I, here's the thing: Wall Street bets itself is not a cult, but I saw people come into the subreddit and try to turn it into a cult. I was watching Wall Street bets. I was in that subreddit very early on last week before there was any sort. I was the hipster. I was the hipster there. I wasn't a, a member of it a long time ago, but I was a member of it right when this started bubbling off. And I was there long enough to kind of see the subculture and the language these guys are kind of using amongst each other. And then within a matter of a day or two, three million more people joined the subreddit. And it was, it was spectacular. It, I've, as a fan of watching subcultures and analyzing their rules and how they work, it was a once-in-a-lifetime experience for me. 
I watched this subculture morph from people who bet money. Uh, Wall Street bets were people who took really, really risky investments. And they would post even when they lost. They called it loss porn. And they're like, oh, guys, I lost $50,000 today. And everyone's like, what? You suck. Da-da-da-da. It's just this real kind of hazing attitude. And then I saw a bunch of, for lack of a better term, civilians join this. Because they're seeing this on the news. And Mark Cuban and AOC and Ted Cruz and all these people are talking about this stuff. Where there are people at Wall Street Bets, they've been doing this forever. And they'll be like, yeah, yeah, GameStop's okay, but this stock's pretty good. How? And they'd get downvoted. They weren't part of the cult. People invented this language. It was like a parody of what the Wall Street bets people were saying. They just kept posting over and over again, ape strong, ape strong. And if you said anything that was against the theology of... It wasn't even Wall Street bets was all about just making money. And then it became this weird social cause thing, which I get it. Trust me, I get it. Wanting to take down Wall Street a peg and all of that, I totally get it. But that's not what Wall Street Bets was set up for. Their logo is a rich dude on a yacht. It's a little dude in a business suit on a yacht. People started getting tattoos. People started creating this artwork for this particular Redditor named Deep Effing Value, who, who was the first person, almost like a seer, he was the first person to see that GameStop stock was worth something. Now... Again, he's not doing that on purpose. The Wall Street Bets veterans weren't doing that on purpose, but you had all of these new people pour in and create a cult with their imagery. It's fascinating. I've never seen anything like it. It'd be the equivalent of... It'd be the equivalent of, like, Santeria, where you would have a bunch of icons from one religion and then a group of people come in and co-opt them. But this was within a week. And the people who were originally following the belief system, quote-unquote, of Wall Street bets were run out of their homes by this new group of apes strong together, diamond hands, diamond hands. People who do Wall Street bets normally, they're betting with basically what they call house money. This, isn't, this is money they can afford to lose. It sucks to lose, but they can afford to lose it. People are going to commit suicide over this. People are going to lose their homes People are going to get divorces over this. I've read so many accounts of people taking their unemployment checks and buying GameStop stock and people going, you got to hold, you got to hold the line. Show it to those fat cats in Wall Street. Average people who don't invest in the stock market, they lost $100,000 in two days. One guy took his wedding money and invested it and it's gone. And Sabine's like, that actually tells his fiance that's the type of man he is. That should let her know something. That's how bad he is with money. That he sees something, he sees a billboard, he sees a meme, and he invests $10,000 in it. They're being told to hold. Hold the line. Just like you hold the faith in a cult. You can't let go. And if you start to waver, the rest of them begin yelling at you. It's fascinating. I've never been on the ground level of watching this build up, like a cult build up. And I'm going to say this. It actually gave me a new appreciation for cult leaders because I'm curious how many of them wanted to start a cult. These people are throwing their money in because they feel like they're doing a righteous good. And again, I agree with taking down greed and corporate greed and all that stuff. If it could have worked, that would have been awesome. But it's not going to work. But just like any hardcore religion... Just like yesterday, the cult. You can be dying and they're like, stay the faith, stay the faith. 
God will heal you. This one is stay the faith, stay the faith, apes forever, or, or apes strong, or whatever. And they're watching that money disappear. It's fascinating. And instead of an apocalyptic doom day in a future, the date comes and goes, it's happening hour by hour. People's lives are being destroyed. And the Redditor uh, deep effing value, to his credit, is mum on the whole thing. He could have easily become a rock star on the subreddit and be doing hourly updates. I think a weaker person would have done that. I think someone who was a more egotistical or weaker person would have bathed. He did an interview for the for a, a magazine or a news agency or something like that. But to have 4 million people flood the subreddit and make posters and memes for you in these videos showing the writers of Rohan, but it says deep effing value under each one of their names. It's not an exaggeration. I, I, there's hundreds of these videos now. And for him to stay away from it, that's good on him. Because he could have easily have just been uh, consumed by that. And I'm starting to think, how many cults are actually created by the members, not the leader? We're always told about these charismatic leaders that show up and, oh, the people are just taken in, hook, line, and sinker. What if it's the other way around? Not all, I'm not saying all the time, but what if it's the other way around? What if it's these charismatic leaders aren't the ones really in charge? It's the people. The people so badly need a leader that just anyone who kind of bumbles into the room or happens to be lucky at that point is the leader. And then everything falls apart. Everyone drinks the Kool-Aid or horrible war starts or there's mass suicides or murders or whatever, or all of them, all of them combined. And then people blame the leader because it's easier to blame the single person than it is to blame the mass population. And then everyone goes back to normal. And then some guy has a church out in the middle of Idaho. And the people are clamoring so much for a leader, he just kind of bumbles into the role. I, I'm wondering if that's a component. Again, I'm not saying all of them, but this was the start of a cult. I'm not saying everyone who invests money in GameStop is a part of a cult, but you that cultish behavior of isolating the outsiders, not letting people leave, you were being harassed if you wanted to leave, you were being harassed if you said anything against it, and other people would be like, yeah, it's really cool that we have new investors. That's awesome. Um, here's some other stuff to try out since GameStop didn't work out. People are, people are like, ban this guy. Ban this guy. He needs to hold the line. He's not an ape. He's like, of course I'm not an ape. I'm a stock trader. So it was an interesting way. It kind of gave me a new insight on the birth of a cult. I think the initial members... This is bad because it comes right after yesterday's cult episode where we had that horrible story. And I'm not blaming Bella for that. She was born into that. But I'm just, I think it's a, I always thought it was a parasitic relationship and I think it's symbiotic. The people need the cult as much as the cult needs the people. Even if it does make them lose all of their money, they felt like, it's fascinating. I, I Again, I've never seen anything like it, but... Let's go ahead and move on to our first topic after we went through that for a while. Hope you guys found it entertaining. I recommend you guys going and looking at that subreddit. You guys will see if it still exists by then. It'll probably be either a skeleton of its former self and there'll be a mass migration or it will all the veterans will be gone. And you'll have nothing but ape strong, ape strong to to fascinating stuff. Love subcultures. I love cults. I never thought I'd see one happen in real time but there we go and online and in the public forum so fascinating stuff amber let's hop out of the dead rabbit dirigible we're flying around wall street we're gonna hop in the hair hang glider we're taking a quick journey this one's not gonna be quick either i keep saying quick 
Let's turn around. We're leaving behind Wall Street. We're headed out to Arizona. Everyone hold on to Amber's ankles as she pilots us out to Arizona. That's a long trip, but we get there. The year is 2005, and we land in this little neighborhood in Arizona, and there's a boy named Casey Price, and he's waving to us as the hang glider is flying down. He's waving to us. So we, when we walk up to Casey, he's building a skate ramp. We're like, hey, whippersnapper, how you doing? He's like, what? what is this? Where's your butterscotch candy, you weirdo? Who uses the word whippersnapper anymore? He's building the skate ramp. He goes, hey, guys, yeah, yeah I moved here new into town, and but I just kind of keep to myself in this neighborhood. I ride my bike, I build skate ramps, stuff like that. We see, like, just 20 skate ramps lining the road. He just moved into town. He's living there with his Uncle Robert. His grandpa, Lonnie, they're waving from the house. And then cousin Brian, they're all waving. We're like, what an interesting family. Not yet. Not yet. We don't know why they're interesting yet, but I do. They're just trying to settle down, though. And Casey has been moving from school to school. Wherever he goes, he doesn't really seem to fit in. He's going to these charter schools. He'll only go for like a couple days, and then he'd be like, ah. And he leaves. So he's having a real hard time making friends. He's really good at making skate skate ramps, but no friends. Then one day in the year 2007, he enrolls in Mingus Springs Charter School in Chino Valley. He's sitting there in the office. He's building a skate ramp in the office. His hands are cramping from constant skate ramp building. And the principal's like, really nice to meet you, Casey. He meets cousin Brian as well. He's like, nice to meet you guys. Nice to meet you guys. I just need all your paperwork to get you enrolled in Mingus Springs Charter School. They give him all the paperwork, they leave. And the principal's looking at the paperwork, and he's like, hmm, this is interesting. First off, this birth certificate is interesting. The seal looks like it is from the state of Arizona. However, it seems a little bit off. The embossing is more to the left what it would normally be. Secondly, the word birth is misspelled on this birth certificate. I don't know exactly what was on it, but it was forged. It was a forged birth certificate. This birth certificate, it's edible. <laughs> it's a big old cracker. He realizes that the documents are fake. So he's thinking Casey might be kidnapped. Because they realize something. They keep hearing about the grandpa and the uncle. They only ever see him with the cousin Brian. They go, what if Casey was kidnapped? And that would explain why his documents were fake. So the principal of Minga Springs starts to Nancy Drew this whole thing. And figure out what is going on. And then they call the cops. And they go, hey, I, I didn't really figure out what was going on. I kind of got stumped and I watched Jeopardy. But I did realize, I was able to confirm with state officials these documents are fake. So the police go to the house. They arrest Grandpa. Pull him out. They arrest Uncle. They pull him out. They arrest the cousin. They pull him out. And Casey's sitting on the couch and he goes... Yay! Those were my abductors. I guess everything's fine. And the cops walk up to him and they put handcuffs on Casey and lead him out as well. Let's go back to the year 2005 and meet Casey Price once again. But we're looking at him and he just fades away. And standing in his place is a man who looks exactly like him. But it's not Casey Price, 12 years old. It's Neil Havens Roderick II. He's 29 years old. He is a child molest. This I've, <laughs> I've never seen this combination before. He's a child molester who pretends he's a child. 
The second thing is he also is into child porn. So he was an adult man pretending to be a kid who loves child porn. Now, no kids were hurt during this story. None of the kids... I guess he, like, spanked a girl's butt at one point, and he got, like, an assault charge for that. But even at the time, the cops really weren't putting two and two together. But he was some sicko who was going to school. The cops couldn't figure out why he kept changing school or what the overall plan was of this. But what they did realize that Cousin Brian was actually his old cellmate from prison. His name was Brian J. Nellis, a 34-year-old man. They were actually cellmates in prison. And the cellmate was in prison for child porn as well. Now, what about Grandpa and Uncle? uh, They assuredly knew of this plot. Well, Grandpa Lonnie was 61 and Uncle Robert was 44. They did not know about what was going on. (laughs) They had no idea that Casey Price was a 29-year-old man pretending to be a kid who was going to a school. And you're like, wait a second, wait. How could they not know that? That's obviously... Like, how is that possible? He, in 2000... This is so bizarre. In 2005, Neil pretended to be a 12-year-old boy named Casey and was trolling on Arizona forums looking for pedophiles and met... Robert Snow, who pretended to be the uncle, and Lonnie Stifler, who pretended to be the grandpa. That wasn't his real uncle or grandpa. He met two separate pedophiles in Arizona. He told them he was 12 years old as well. And they began having sex with him. You're like, Jason, seriously? This is your Friday episode? (laughs) Sorry, sir. Dinosaurs are about to come and trample me for putting this story out. They began having sex with him, thinking he was a 12-year-old boy. And then he says, guys, I really want to run away from my family here in this. He lived in Oklahoma, and he goes, I want to run away from Oklahoma. Will you guys take me to Arizona and pretend to be my relatives? And you can totally have sex with a kid, is his eyes shift from side to side, because they're a bunch of perverts. They're like, oh, yeah, that totally works. So they go, and then he brings his cousin along, and he goes, yeah, this is my cousin. And so this group of guys... We're all banging each other, and two of them <laughs> thought one of them was a kid. <laughs> well, thanks, gross. And then the kid guy was trying to go to school, but they were the cops were like, he didn't do anything there. He slapped the girl's butt, and he got an assault charge for that. But they said there was no, he wasn't taking footage, he wasn't trying to hook up with any kids. They did huge investigations, and nothing ever came out of it. But what happened to them was this: while they were doing all this gross stuff, they were also doing forgery from, you know, making the documents. The two adults thought they had kidnapped a child, which is creepy, but technically that's not kidnapping because he went willingly. They, and also there was just a ton of child porn. (laughs) I'm glossing over that part. There was a ton of child porn out of the house. Lonnie Stifler, the grandpa, got charged with 14 years. Jon Snow, not Jon (laughs) Snow. Robert Snow got 22 years in prison. The cousin, Brian Nellis, got 51 years in prison. I don't know why I'm shocked by that, because these guys are all sickos. And Neil, who did this whole thing, got 70 years in prison. He got arrested when he was 29, so he'll be in prison till he's 100 years old. So, <laughs> that okay, so I don't have enough time to tell the Barack Obama on Mars story, 
because I spent so much time talking about um, stock market and that last story that I'm sure you guys are just like, oh, come on. Let me find another story real quick to end the weekend out on a cool, spooky note. Or or just, or just a note, just a note that's not related to a man. Let's see here. You know what? We started on Reddit. Let's end it on Reddit. Amber, let's go ahead and call in that carpenter copter. We are going to leave behind Arizona. We are headed out to an unnamed college. Amber's like, damn it. Other people get to go to Bulgaria and stuff like that. That's that's the fate. She wanted to go to Mars. Amber's like, yes, I get to meet Barack Obama and go to Mars. Sorry, Amber. You shake his hand very briefly, and then he has to leave and wait for Monday. Fly us out to an unnamed college. The year is 2012, and there is a man named, we'll call him, I'm trying to remember some of the names from the last one, so I don't use those again. We'll name him Casey. There is a man named Jeremiah. He's in college. This is last year of college. It's the year 2012. It's the last year of everything. Mayan gods are about to destroy the world. And after school, he's walking through the parking lot, and he sees this beautiful woman. Time slows down. His heart skips a beat. It's his soulmate. He can just tell from her aura, her energy, her everything. This is the woman he's going to spend the rest of his life with. But she's not ready for it. She's very coy and like, oh, you guy. Apparently it's olive oil. Apparently has a big thing for olive oil. Oh, you, Jeremiah. She also has a boyfriend. She also is dating a guy and he's trying to get her. And she's like, no, no, no. Bluto's the man for me. I'll stop making Popeye references because not everyone was born in the year 1920. This girl is rejecting him, but in a playful way. And she ends up dating another guy and yet another guy, but he won't take no for an answer in a romantic way. Okay, not in a creepy way. He won't take no for an answer. He does end up winning her heart. They start dating. Two years later, they get married. And shortly after that, they have a beautiful baby girl. Uncle Wimpy's standing in the corner. He's like, oh, I'll give that baby away for a hamburger today. He gets a great job. They're actually able to afford the mother to stay home to raise the little girl. Two years after that, they have a son. And he immediately builds a connection with his son. Like, he's like, yeah, the daughter's cool. (laughs) The daughter's cool and all, but this is a winner. He said that every day before he went to work, he would check on his baby son. It was just, like, a a part of him. Couldn't figure it out. The girl was a part of him as well, but he just had this strong connection to his son. One day, he's sitting on the couch in his living room... Drinking a Shasta. And he looks over at the lamp on the end table. And something's wrong. And he's just staring at the lamp. He's trying to figure it out. He can't... Something's off. He said it was a square lamp base with red and gold trim. And the base sat balanced on four little legs. The lampshade was a square white lampshade. Something was off about the lamp, though. The only way he could describe it was the perspective was off. There was no other way for him to really explain what he was looking at. He stayed up all night looking at the lamp. The next day, he couldn't even go to work. He's looking at the lamp. He would only get up to use the restroom. And then he'd come back and sit on the couch, and he couldn't figure out what was wrong with this lamp. He stopped eating, stopped drinking. He just stared at the lamp. At this point, his wife is getting freaked out. I don't know how many days this was. 
I don't think it was like day 17, and he's all hooked up to a saline bag. But it's a period of time enough to notice that you haven't eaten in a while, and you haven't drank in anything in a while. The wife starts to get freaked out. He goes, I could hear my wife talking to me, but all I could do is think, what is wrong with this lamp? Something is off. His wife is getting scared. She says, I'm going to take the kids. We're going to go to the mom's house. You and that lamp. You're staring at that lamp all, all that time. It's freaking me out. It's freaking the kids out. She takes the kids. She leaves. And he's sitting there alone in the house. And that's when he realizes the lamp is not real. And if the lamp is not real, the house is not real. And if the house is not real, his family is not real. And if his family is not real, his life is not real. Upon this realization, the lamp begins to expand. He said, it eventually took up my entire field of view. I could see nothing but the lamp. He then hears someone screaming in his ear. He hears noises he can't really make out. He can't figure out what's going on. And then he feels utter pain course through his body. He hears himself say, I'm missing teeth. He's laying on a sidewalk at his college in the year 2012. There's a bunch of people standing around him. Some of them are screaming. He's covered in blood. He has teeth missing. An ambulance is there. They're prepping to put him onto a stretcher and take him to the hospital. He remembers while he's recovering that a football player of the college had a bit of a road rage incident with him and punched him so hard in the mouth, it busted his teeth, he fell down, hit his head on the sidewalk, and met the woman of his dreams. This was from an account, it was a throwaway account, because when you post stuff like this, you know you're going to get nothing but questions for the rest of the time. You just want to buy GameStop stock. You want to say ape strong forever. But you start a throwaway account. This was from Temptutosin, but it doesn't matter. It's the only thing they've ever posted. They don't really even answer questions, I believe. I think this is just a single post. It, it, the post ends with this quote, quote, I went through about three years of horrid depression. I was grieving the loss of my wife and children and dealing with the knowledge they never existed. I was scared that I was going insane as I would cry myself to sleep hoping I would see her in my dreams. I never have, but sometimes I see my son, usually just a glimpse out of my peripheral vision. He is perpetually five years old, and I can never hear what he says. I found that story because someone much more recently, and not a throwaway account, named Circuit Board just posted um, on Reddit saying, hey, I had this weird experience back in high school, got in a fight, I got punched, hit my head on the ground. Next thing you know, I'm sitting at a dinner table. And he goes, I don't recognize anyone. He goes, there was a woman sitting across from me, a toddler boy and a preteen girl. And I'm in this house. It looked like a fairly modern house with two floors. I had a connection to these people. Like, I didn't know how I knew them, but I knew them deeply and intimately. And I'm sitting there and this woman across the table asks me a question. And I don't really know what she's asking. I'm kind of shocked. I go to say something and I vomit all over the table and the next thing I know, I'm on the ground. And that's an interesting one because his story 
They could both be totally made up. Everything we report on the show could totally be made up, whether it's coming from Reddit or it's coming from some book written in 1972. You, you, obviously, it can totally be made up. This story is interesting because it's more immediate. He's thrust into this immediate alternate reality. And on his post, the response was, this reminds me of that lamp story from years ago. This reminds me of that lamp story. And that's how I went back and found the lamp story. But they're both the same. And the question really is this. Obviously, you can question whether or not this is just made up. But you can say that about literally every single story we report on this show. Or every single paranormal story ever. And that's a fair question. But the other thing is, are these people getting hit so hard? Are these people getting hit so hard that they're actually dreaming? They're basically being put to sleep. Their brain is going into REM sleep so suddenly that a dream starts off. And they're having, you know, they say like a dream only lasts seven seconds. But I've had dreams that have lasted 100 years. I've had grandchildren in dreams before. And it's very, very, very unsettling when you wake up. I've had that happen a few times. I've had dreams where I've lived 20, 30, 40 years, and it sucks because your head's full of knowledge that doesn't exist. You read newspapers every day. It's, it's super bizarre. It does take you a while to get over. But I was never in love with anyone in my dreams. Sure, I had grandkids, but, you know, my wives are okay. Could be that they're getting punched or hit so hard they're actually going into a dream state. That's the most logical answer. But I think the most interesting answer is they are somehow getting hit so hard They're going into another reality. And that would actually play a part in the whole idea of quantum immortality. We covered that story about the Wheel of Time. We even did it again on our Classics episode. I'll put it in the show notes. But that guy who got in a car accident and ended up on a giant wheel. A wheel of fate. That's actually dumbing it down. I'll put it in the show notes. I really recommend you guys listening to that episode if you haven't already. It's a fascinating look at a near-death experience. The in-between of the near-death experience. Fascinating story. And I'm wondering if that's what's happening here. These people are actually dying due to these violent injuries. And then they're going into a reality where they didn't die. And they're experiencing that. But then they come back to this reality. Or maybe they enter a third reality. Maybe there is a reality where they did die from those impacts. Now, we're the third reality. They came from their alpha. They visited a beta. And now we're the Lambda, lambda, lambda reality. Who knows? But it's a fascinating story nonetheless. It's one that should give us a little bit of hope when we lose loved ones to think that they're continuing their lives in a happier version of the world they just left. But if you experience it and come back to this reality, I can understand the sorrow. I can understand the sorrow of having met your soulmate and having gone through everything you needed to do to win their heart to build that family, to have a happy home, and to realize it's all fake, and to start back at the very beginning. And could you find that person again? Maybe in this reality, they never attended that college, or became your co-worker, or grew up on the same street as you. Out of 7 billion people on the planet, you were lucky enough to find your soulmate in one reality. What are the chances that you'll find them Again, in infinite realities. The chance is zero if you don't try. So if that's what you're searching for, keep searching. They're out there somewhere. 
deadrabbitradio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great weekend, guys.